Hello and welcome to Daylight Saving Time with me, David Brewis. And me, Peter Brewis. From the band Field Music, but also now from the almost a record label. Almost. Nearly. Not not quite. If you look at it from a certain angle, it's kind of a record label. Daylight Saving Records. Hence why we've called it Daylight Saving Time. Ha <laughs> mm. um, ha. Oh. The first release on Daylight Saving Records is going to be Slug's third album, Thy Socialite, which is coming out in January 2023. So, as our inaugural Daylight Saving Time podcast or whatever, I don't know what it is, we have as our guest today, Ian Black, the brains behind Slug. Hi, Ian. Hi, are you all right? Yeah. Very well, thank you, Ian. For those people out there in uh, Radio Land who, um, oh no, wait a minute, it's changed now, Internet Land. I think well, let's just call it Radio Land. Okay, Radio Land. Um, who don't know about the um, the the history of Ian Black and um, and Slug? Um, well, and 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 yeah, field music, music in a way. Yeah. Um, we we kind of go back a, a, a long way. Um, more I feel than like we have to cast our minds back to maybe like 1996. Yep. Long-haired Ian Black, around about 14, 15-year-old. So me and Peter were um, peer educators um, at a music project run by a fabulous chap called Dave Murray. He's not a chap, actually. It's just not not the right bloke. bloke. He's a bloke. He's not bloke. a chap. He's a bloke. Um <laughs> He ran a music project out of a place called The Bunker. Um, and me and Peter were very cocky and thought that we were like, we're incredibly experienced because we've played like four gigs in a pub. So we uh, we helped out like running these music workshops. And one Saturday morning, Ian Black comes in. Am I right in thinking that the first time you came in, it was with Stephen Lowe, yeah, Tim, Distin, Tim Distin, and yeah. also Barry Hyde. Yeah, Barry or, Hyde and, D- and I think David. did Dave come a bit later? I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's all a bit of a blur. Yeah. But certainly, there was a group of kids who came from Thornhill School. Thornhill, Thornhill School. School. Yeah, and we just arri- we just arrived big time and, and just, just <laughs> and ruined it. And I, I mean, I've got one. Because obviously I've got some photographs of, of that time. And I, I you must have only been 14, 15. 14, it was just the, the age of the hair, wasn't it? Just I everyone mean, had it, massive hair. You came in and I've got a photograph of you. I, I think it's mainly sort of denim and ginger. Oh, well, that's it, nothing's changed really, <laughs> has it? <laughs> um, but yeah, you had like sort of a proper like rock rockers hair. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I actually often wonder um, how that went down at school. Like a bag of really paid. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I did I did I did wonder. <laughs> but didn't, I remember you didn't coming go, in and didn't um, go down well at Thornhill School. No. I no. mean to be honest, it didn't go down well with me either at the project because you know, I think I was I was beyond rock at the time. I've come back to it since. Um I I thought I I seem to remember at that time I was still I was still fully fully rocked up. Yeah, like all of us were properly rocked up i was like i had like not only was my hair long but because i've got ginger hair mine was like big as well like massive like a lion 
Well, my my Dave had long like Dave had long hair. <laughs> Nipple length at that, yeah, that yeah, stage, yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> and Pete, you had, did you have long? You had long. Uh, well, it was meant to be long, big? but my, my head doesn't really go long. It just goes like, it so goes like out, mine. outwards yeah. rather than downwards. And that was the, that was the start of a lot of friendships and a lot of, a lot of music that happened in Sunderland in that era, really, because there was lots of people. We all ended up like starting bands and mm-hmm. being in each other's bands and going to each other's gigs over, over quite a long, kind of stretched out for quite a long period of time, really until, you know, the few Cheds end up off on tour all the time. We were not on, field music, we're not on tour all the time. We were just like <laughs> hiding in our little practice room. And you were doing a band with Steve and Tim. Yeah, and uh, Ricky Murray, who's actually the keyboardist and... Um a uh, percussionist in Slug now um, called The Bubble Project. So could you briefly explain the band, The, the Bubble Project, what that Yeah, Maybe was. include some anecdotes about the kind of things you did on stage. <laughs> well, <laughs> well I'll, I'll start. Well, The Bubble Project were kind of like a surf hard rock band, surf punk band. So we ripped off bands like Man Astro Man and we ripped off the Flame and Lip Sound, Cloud Taste and Metallic and we just put everything together. Um, we used to do all sorts of, um, we used to take a, a smoke machine and, and lights and we had to stop doing that because after the second time a fire engine turns up, you think ah, this is probably not the best thing to do. Um, before I was in the band, Ricky, who's in my band now, um, thought it was hilarious to glass himself in the face on stage while doing a ballad, which so there was just blood everywhere in front of two people in the crowd. So that was that was something. Why don't these kind of things happen in the current local music scene? Why why haven't people been well, inspired? Let's, let's, well, let's not encourage that sort of behaviour, <laughs> shall we? Really? <laughs> yeah. So since then, none of us have glassed ourselves in the face good, again good. because we realised real progress. It's not it's not really the thing to do, and uh, it was just something that Ricky tried out, I think, and it just went a bit <laughs> up for him, you know. So, and he, so he seems everyone to have out there, don't glass well, yourselves in the face. Um, He's a much more responsible person now. But you released one album yeah. with the Bubble Project, and obviously you, did, you, you, were, you were together for a, a long time. Yeah. Or it seemed like a long time. Yeah. But actually, do you know what? I, I actually think that um, the Bubble Project is the band that I've seen the most mm. out of any band because you played a lot. We did. And we, in Newcastle specifically. Yeah. And then we did, and then we did our album then probably split up like two months later or something just yeah. like ah it's done um job done but we we did all we did all sorts i think you you came to see the alphabets a few times with mark scott as well yeah. didn't you? which yeah. we me and steve tried to help mark with his with his band and just ultimately you know took the p- of it without realizing that's what we were doing um but there, there was some good you you went to that gig when we we played second on the build row and what was it Eight, eight bill or something. We'll there was an eight band we'll building. The end. Eight band bill, and they were playing second. And Ian announced on stage, "I'd like to thank all the other bands for supporting us." Really, like you know, greasing the palms of those who might further your career. There, wonderful. Yeah, I don't think I don't know whether everyone got the joke. Wasn't a joke. Oh, right. Neither did I. 
I mean, th- there was definitely a thing at that time where it's like, as there should be for every music scene, where being a bit confrontational makes things kind of interesting <laughs> rather than, I mean, it is nice when people are supportive, but it, it can't all be that. Yeah. Sometimes I, you just got to wind other people up. Yeah. I put, I kind of put me life in me hands one, one gig. Um, basically asked anyone in the Tanners who wanted to fight, I'll fight them. <laughs> after, in after, the Tanners? Yeah. Brave. Thankfully there was only a few people there. All of them would have been able to clip me, everyone who was there, and they didn't. So, um, yeah, it's it's just one of those things, isn't it? You just you just you just try things. Some, you just try artist. You, you've got an artistic vision. Honestly, you after, try it after all of these, after all of these stories, I'm starting to think, why on earth did me and Peter ask you to join the field music band? Some lovely. What were we trying to do? But it was the sensible thing. Um, so, <coughs> well, he had a bass. He played and he lived locally. <laughs> well, I think that's about um, it. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yes, in uh, 2009, um, when after me and Peter had made the Field Music Measure album um, and we're trying to like reformulate like what um, the the live Field Music Band were going to be, we asked our good confrontational friend Ian if he <laughs> if he might fancy taking a chunk of time off work and coming on tour with us and actually in across that the year across 2010 I I reckon we did something like 90 gigs and or radio sessions so it's like the busiest year for yeah, touring that we yeah which might not be a lot done. for some bands but I think for us that was that that was a lot. Certainly yeah. never done that many again since. Mm. Um so Ian spent a whirlwind year with us going all over the place and And I don't you remember I don't know whether time. you remember one of our very first gigs where we actually went to New York. Yeah, I think that was only our like second gig. <laughs> I think it was our second gig Ian. we did with Ian. And um no, Ian's like he was an he's an experienced guy, you know, he's he's been in bands before, he, he understands you know the, the <laughs> rock, rock and roll rock e- indie etiquette. Indie rock, um so we, we, you know it was kind of like our, our I feel it was like a big, big gig for us and obviously it was a it was an even bigger gig for Ian because for some reason <laughs> I mean we were all tired off the plane and I think we all had um it was one. Of, it was one. I mean, we, we've done it a few times where where we've started a, a US jaunt, basically by landing, going to the venue and playing straight away. Yeah. So the, the the jet lag is extreme when you do that. So we were all a bit tired, and um, we sort of didn't have a lot of time to. I don't even know whether we did a sound check or did we just kind of set up and just. I can't remember. Start playing. I think we did do some kind of sound check, but there was another. There was another band playing, so it might have been a bit tight. But I think, um, I think, I don't know, you must have been tired, in because I really feel like you misunderstood your role in the band. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was drunk on jet lag, to be drunk honest. Drunk on jet lag, yeah. and um, so, you, you know, I mean, I don't know if anyone's ever seen field music play live. You know, we don't really have anyone in the middle of the stage. You know, we sort of have... This is your way of saying it's your fault for like putting me, me there. 
Well, Ian just kind of like gravitated <laughs> to the middle of the stage. No, you asked you asked me to go at the front because of his space. I can't, so I can't it's on that. you to be honest. I can't remember that. Can't you put Ian Black on the front of the stage; it's going to happen. You know what I mean? You were wearing your lovely, what I consider your field music Hawaiian yeah, gig yeah. shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my feel good shirt. Um, and proceeded to tell the audience all about watching the film Jennifer's Body <laughs> on the plane on the way over. Yeah, and ask, in, I in, watched a lot of films on that plane, and I'm not sure that the Brooklyn crowd <laughs> entirely understood what you were saying or why you were saying it. <laughs> Post hipster crack, basically, that's what it was. Um, and I think you asked for the house lights up as well. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't turn them on. Didn't, didn't turn them off. No. Sorry. No. Anyway, you know, and then you know that was the second gig. Yeah, and um, that was the first humil- humiliating story that I've got. And then after a year, I think you decided to go back to work. Oh, uh, <laughs> like, nah, no, I had to live, nah, go back to work and live it down. <laughs> to put the demons away in a box. But during the during the time that you were playing with us, you that it seemed like you were formula- formulating your own idea of uh, not necessarily doing a record or doing a band. But so tell me, a, well, tell us. Everyone. Yeah, I think around about that time, you kind of, you just kind of get inspired to do something if you're around um, people all the time who's in a band, going to gigs, playing. And then I just thought, oh, well, I've always wanted to do like my own thing, really. I've always, most of the time, I've always been part of a band. So I thought, yeah, I'll just, I'll just try, I'll, I'll just try some things by myself. Um, I had Garage Band on my computer, so I just started flinging some ideas. And then one day, I think it was at the, the very um, last Bubble Project gig, actually. I think I went to you and I was like, oh, I've done, I've done a track. Do you want to have a listen? Oh, yeah, yeah. And you yeah. Put, put your headphones in. It was a very early um, version of Cock-Eyed Rabbit. Right. And you were like, Blackie, you need to do this properly. It sounds sh- We need to get you into the <laughs> studio. So I was like, yeah, well, let's, let's do that. Did let's do that. So that's kind of the start of the first yeah. and Slug the- album, like, which... It's a classic piece of work. It, in, it includes Cock Guy Rabbit, Wrapped in Plastic, Greasy Mind, mm-hmm. Running to Get Past Your Heart. Yeah, yeah. All of which, in a just world, would have been like top 10 yeah. hits with you on top of the pops, t- dressed as a nun. It's probably a good or thing. A, or a Croatian waiter. Probably a good thing if we didn't, because I'd probably start talking about films I'd seen on the bus <laughs> probably, on the way down. Probably. <laughs> um,. So after that year of touring, I felt like over quite a long period of time, you started coming over to the, the what the the field music studio as it was then, mm-hmm. and the three of us, but mostly the two of yous, started yeah it was recording, a, and I I think it was it was a it was a big learning process for me and Peter because like we've got like one wave we've got our way of making a record, and it took us a bit of like figuring out what what are you going for and how can we make that happen, um, because it's like looser and more raw and more crazy in so many ways than what field music records were. Um, and, you know, because, I, you know, I'm especially like, yeah, I'm a bit of a nerd in the studio. You've done some things with the recordings that you've done at home. I was like, well, this is wrong. 
And it took me a while to realize it's not wrong. It's just like pure, pure Ian Black's mind. Something like running to get past your heart. Everything was in the red, wasn't it? Everything's in the red. The drums were all on one track. It's like, well, if I really try hard, we can mix this so it sounds amazing. And I do think it's like a record that sounds... Oh, it's, yeah, it am, sounds, like, sounds amazing. Great, yeah. um, and that's the combination of us trying to use our skills to just, like, bring out what you were what you were going for yeah i think it, it was it was weird those times because um because obviously you've got your own sort of uh language musical language that you use in the studio so i had to kind of get used to that and i, I tried to communicate by um, it was almost like learning a new language but not quite getting it so sometimes i would say something like um oh it needs to sound like really soft but really hard at the same time because i was trying to i was trying to like speak in in the language that you were doing but i wasn't quite getting it right so I, there was a few times i had a few raised eyebrows going what are you talking about but um but um yeah yeah so it was it was a learning curve for me um and there was also it, it was sort of weird because we we had a um a day when we tried to do hand claps we I think oh, I'll, yes. I'll learn hand that. Clap gate. Yeah, uh, hand, hand clap gate. Yeah, I think <laughs> I, I'll learn that not everything has to be pristine and done in the studio. It can sound scruffy and dirty if I wanted to. Um, and the story goes, um, the first song off Ripe is called Grimace and Mask. And what I did, I did a loop on my sampler of me doing some form of like a clapping rhythm. I don't know what time it's in. can't remember. So I showed Peter and Peter was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, why don't we get some proper microphones together and try it out <laughs> so we um i think we started something like nine o'clock and we finished about two o'clock or something in the afternoon and we hadn't got anything no i think we finished when we realized just use the it, it, we couldn't because well, yeah essentially we, we were just trying to recreate something that was already perfect you know um but that for, was a lot what it was there's a lot of hand claps there was a, a lot of hand claps i think we red were raw very, hands <laughs> so yeah, because we kept moving microphones all over the studio and in the hall and stuff to get like <laughs> a different reverb or something. Then we just thought, you know what? Let's just let's just keep the ones you've already done. These ones that sound like distorted and wrong and but it, like, it, you know it taught me something. You know, it taught me the sort of the um, you know the benefits of uh, yeah the benefits of of sort of chaos. You know, sort of the sounds that you you couldn't replicate again. I suppose in a way that kind of, that's why I think ripe kind of reminds me of a sort of a hip hop ish album in a way where there's a lot of sounds from all over the place yeah. kind of been made into a collage together. You know, for, for instance, you know, greasy mind, it sound, it's got a kind of, well, it's like a Lindrum sound, I think on it, or, or it's, a, um, did you, did you overdub hi hats? I think, on yeah, that and I think we like overdub hi hats onto a different sort of, uh, and then we uh, onto a different drum sound, and then so we did sort of let's do like toto back and vocals or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, always we'll do like a princey guitar, a prince guitar solo or something like that. So it was like it was kind of putting these different things together. But you know the things that we had to use as the main, almost like the main bit of the album 
really the starting point was everything you'd already recorded mm. in the um at at the at your your rehearsal room in the bunker yeah. with you know like a microphone and um that kind of gave the um that's like that's the sonic imprint yeah really is, is that's the, where we need to sort of start and, and it was a realization for us to say oh there's there's more than one way to make a record and i think because we one of the things we'd been conscious about over the course of making like all of our early recordings and certainly like the first f- and probably second field music albums is like oh i want it to sound like a proper record how do we make it sound like a proper record um and actually, there's loads of ways to make something well, sound like I mean, a proper you know, record. The and there's is, no such thing as a proper record. It's just nah. like, do it. But, you know, I think I think what happens is you quite often sort of try and second guess yourself to try and make something which sounds right for whatever sort of contemporary recording age you, you're in. And, you know, when we started trying to record, it was like, well, we've got to make stuff sound as good as like Nigel godrick or something like that and said well but the irony was you know we were also listening to loads of other things at the at the time from you know from when recorded music had first started all the way up to something like you know like orderly by beck which is all over the place yet is still makes sense as a kind of a an artistic whole Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I'd think Ripe is is in the same sphere as, as Odile. And that's high praise from me. I mean, it, you know, admittedly, I had something to do with it. <laughs> you but, made uh, Odile? <laughs> I actually recorded Odile. And then you you toured? Yeah. You we... did, a, did a band for the first Soak album and did radio sessions and had the kind of... I mean, initially, the band was... You with me and Peter and Andrew from the Field yeah. Music Band, um, and plus Reese Patterson. Patterson. But we we didn't do it for that long. Um, I think you did it for the um, the first tour with when we supported Hide and Beast. Ah, yes, yeah, yeah. And you made us get dressed up as Croatian waiters, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, but yeah. like, tell me why. <laughs> Well, <laughs> why 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 do I like the band to dress up? Um, well, because the first album's pretty pretty down album, like lyrically. Also, I think it kind of gets rid of this like whole authenticity argument. You're just like, ah, f- come on! It's just like brings a sense of uh, fun to the show, you know. And so people going, "Is he real?" Just like, no, and neither are you. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's kind of like it's that sort of thing like it's about entertaining like I think you know you can be an artist all you want but you know I like to be entertained as well so that's part of why I bring that to the show and and I, I suppose I, I you're entertaining it, yourself as well yeah I, I just think the costumes blend well and they're all like the 50 guitar solos that I do so it, yeah. just, it just it just it's a collision of um, of the ridiculous really and that's why I like it I'm slightly sad that I wasn't in the band for any of the later costume setups. Like I yeah. only did the Croatian waiter. Yeah, go through the the sort of the different costume setups. Um, well, we started off with with the waiters, <laughs> <laughs> and then we tried out the um, 
the the seal the seal outfits for the first time at uh, Green Man, and I remember like because Demo and Andrew walked on first, and I just remember this like the whole mood in the tent sort of changed. Like, what? what Why are you what, spoiling what, music? What, for what's us? what's oh. this? Because like, <laughs> are you are people allowed to do this? Because I think it was like a a proper hipster sort of band on before us, and then you just had Demo just waltzing on with his full on seal outfit. Um, but that was a great gig. Um, the barbershop quartet outfits. Um, and I wanted them to dress as nuns. And it's the only time when I've had Andrew Lau this year. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. <laughs> so I was like, well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll show you that I wouldn't ask you to do anything I wouldn't do myself. So that's where I started wearing the nun outfit during the Higgledy Piggledy tour. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> And I always remember walking out wearing it for the first time. I just heard this this bloke's voice just at the back going, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just like <laughs> Woo, yeah. That's, uh, that's what I've come to a gig for. So um so yeah, um I'm trying to I'm trying to get some new some new ideas for, for the next tour. I've got them. I'm not telling you here though. Okay. Yeah, that'd be a surprise. Just I haven't thought yet. So you've two it ripe. You start making the next album, but there's also when did the Halloween gigs? Oh, the Halloween happen? that happened during, well, the, happened during the, Halloween. Late, the later stages of um, <sighs> the the ripe um, right. tour. So I just love horror film soundtracks, and they were quite a, a huge sort of influence on on ripe as it as it, it's it's there for everyone to see all the riffs I kind of nicked and. Um, so I just thought oh, I'd really, I'd really want to do something on Halloween. And I remember we were playing in Manchester. So I thought, lads, how do you, how do you feel about learning ten new songs and um, having it all done within you know four or three months? And they were obviously overjoyed by this. So we got it together, and um, and it sounded. We did uh, some Fabio Frizzy stuff. We did some Goblin stuff. Um, we did, you know, the Halloween track by jo- uh, John Carpenter. Uh, what else did we do? We did a uh, Tenebrae by uh, Claudio Simonetti, who who is in Goblin, really, who is Goblin. But we did it like a whole bunch of them, and we I, I kind of dressed up as a kind of a skeleton, but I kind of went for um, Metal Machine music era Lou Re- um, Lou Reed, but with a kind of more goth aesthetic, <laughs> and <laughs> and Reese. Um, I still haven't got quite got over the photos of Reese from that gig. Well, that was great because he we did have a few technical problems at, at that gig. On that, uh, I think Andrew's bass kind of gave out something. It's like when you do two sets and you've got stuff everywhere. Sometimes leads can get stood on and yeah. pulled out. And I remember just I think it was that the second track was a bit crap. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I just remember turning to Reese and went, Reese, if you're going to save the show, you need to do it now. <laughs> So Reese to his credit, because he had like a long coat on and he's just like, just waltzes to the front of the stage and just undresses to show a full Frank Furter outfit, just (laughs) silk stockings, the lot and the whole place just went wild. Um, It it was absolutely, but then the gig was fine after that because, you know, you could play as terrible as you could, but you'd seen, everyone had seen Reese on stage, just, it was, it was marvellous. Um... Yeah, it was a it was a great day, but that's that's what we did for the the horror film soundtracks. It was um, I think we only did it once in Manchester. I've always wanted to do it again, 
um, you've, you've, hopefully next year. You kept year. playing some of the... Did you keep playing some of that stuff? Isn't some of that stuff on the little on the live? Oh yeah, we did live re- release. You did on uh, which was a band camp only. Yeah, thing. We, um, I think that was because we were using that as a um, a way to practice them. To be honest, yeah. just like testing them out. Um, but it was uh, a shock by Libra. Um, that was another band um, who did kind of film soundtracks, and we kept that one. And we ended up doing that a few times. We always kind of, it was great because we could just slot it in during, towards the end. Um, and that allowed us to kind of um, be a bit more free as in. Um, improvise. Improvise, thanks Peter. Um, just to, you know, you could just improvise over the top and make it go as long. Because actually you know. for all the like, there's, there's a chaos inherent in like the sound of Slug. Mm-hmm. But it's very meticulously like arranged, arranged yeah. which oh, is yeah, one yeah. of the things that me and Peter realised, you know, like, you know, across the course of helping you record that first album, it's like, there's a very specific thing that all of the parts need to do. This is, you can't deviate from it. No, you can't. Too, too much. No, you can't. You, um, it has to have a structure for it to be actual music. If it was just, <laughs> if it was just chaos all the time, it would just, it would just be rubbish. It would just sound weak. But but having uh, having everything like um, it's like oh, it's okay. type of loose man. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's almost like building a house, man. The bricks have to be together for the house to stay. You know, you know, it's all that. Um, but yeah, that's. But y- you can sort of input certain uh, moments of chaos in there, or or like some form of uh, improvisation by just having certain parts. We say, right, we can just do whatever here and. We've done it so many times that we know when to come in and come out. And I kind of like that element as well of, of being able to just jam on a few songs because it just keeps it a bit fresh uh, for me. And I, I don't want to do the same thing every single night. You know, I, don't, I want the, I want the yeah. gigs to be different for everybody. You know, for, for when, if I'm playing in Manchester, I want the gig to be different to the one I play um, in New in in Madison Square Garden the day before, you know what I mean? So <laughs> I, I, need it, I, need it, I need it to be a different gig for me and for everybody else to make sure they get the money's worth. I think that's one of, one of the good things about, so when me and Peter stopped doing the band, um, you got in Ricky Murray, mm-hmm. you know, who, who you've played with loads before. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and Damo Waters. The one and only Damo Waters. The one Waters. and only Damo Waters, who we first met on the field, field music, music tour, tour yeah because he was playing with tom white from yeah. the electric soft parade um and i think you know the first time we we saw him play there was a proper like wow wow, wow. like who's this guy yeah um proper chin stroke and moment wasn't it subsequently like, yes. like played played a little bit with with field music and it's like you know on and off played with us and um but having him in the slug band where he could just do anything. He could do, he, he's, Demo Waters is an absolute genius. I remember one time me and Ricky were laughing about it because uh, I think it was the song, At Least Sure That You Care. And um, we needed somebody to do like another, um, another vocal behind mine. And we're like, Demo, do you reckon you'd be able to sing, uh, sing the, the words, um, do a harmony? And we told him the harmony, but the drum pattern itself was very difficult. And he was like, Oh, I don't know, mate. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go. And then just like did it spot on the first time. I was just like, yeah, he's an absolute genius. And one, I, actually for the Halloween gig as well, 
both me and Ricky tried to do this piano part and we couldn't do it. So we went to Demo. Demo, because he can you can you will you be able to do this? Oh, I don't know, you know, gets up just plays it right first time. He's not a person who like brims with confidence no, about no. his abilities and then I think he, I think do he does I anything. think he does it on purpose, mate. Like just I think <laughs> I think it's almost like a performance piece. But but he is like the thing with Demo, not only is he extremely talented, but he's a massive character as well. He's his personality just shines. On on stage, you he's can't just take like, your you, eyes off. You him. can't take your right. eyes off him. Yeah, and when you know when he's on stage with someone dressed as a nun and someone dresses Frank and Furter, the idea that you would still look at the drummer, like yeah, these seems... yeah, these top off with a wearing a cape on that gig. <laughs> <laughs> we run out of your, I think I think we've run out of things to wear, so he just wore, just wore a cape with nothing else underneath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you'd done all your you'd release ripe. Yeah, yeah. You'd um, you you toured it, and then it was time for you to make the next Slug the, the, album. Yeah, the the next one. Um, to be honest, I kind of burnt myself out after the after Ripe and the tours. I should have really taken a bit of time off, or longer than I should have. Because um, you were still working. Oh, I was still working full time, uh, forty hour week, and. Um, but then I, I, I was I was talking to Matt and Ollie who, who were at Memphis Industries and I just like I almost tried to talk myself into doing another one just so I did it you know and I asked them like when when would you need a buy and they're like oh well we'd need a buy this month and I think it was like six months and that straight away I thought that was a great idea and I don't know why because I thought oh that can be me kind of jump off point that I have to do an album in six months and I I tried to do that like. Get up at six, do some recording, go to work, come back, do some do some more recording, um, and that 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 was just like more or less every day. And that was your way of coping with the burnout from ripe. I know. Yeah, good, great. Uh, yeah. So uh, obviously, I think I made myself not very well doing that. And but I learned something very valuable in those times, and that was I cannot make an album in six months. <laughs> so. <laughs> So it took about, it still took about 11 months to do, 10 months. Um, but I think it all started to come together because I tried to do it. And I, I, it's like anything I do, I, I think I'm doing something, but when in fact I'm doing something else. So I thought I was doing something a bit more stripped down. And then later on, I was just like, I did the complete opposite of that. I, I, oh yeah, it's, it's a very it's, maximalist it's very, it's very busy. record. Um. And I thought I was doing my most commercial effort ever because I put a third chorus on on the songs. <laughs> so, so when so when I gave uh, Matt and Ollie, and they were like, "I don't think there's any massive singles on this." I was like, "You're joking, aren't you? It's got three, it's got three choruses on." <laughs> I mean, it was again. It was like interesting for us because with with Ripe, it felt like you know me and Peter were trying to be the midwives for your ideas like right he's this far on and if we use our bit of expertise we can expertise <laughs> then we can make it into something with higgledy piggledy recorded almost all of it except the like Strings. additional instrumentation yeah. you, you, yourself i think that's when the album came together really um when we got those strings on and i remember just just feeling like a sense of relief just like yeah, it, it does work. It does sound like a record now. And especially, um, 
after you mixed it, Dave. That when when you mixed, it, I was like, yeah, it does make sense because I went through a couple of months of just thinking, what, what have I done? Like, what? Yeah. This doesn't sound. This doesn't sound right. But that's that's what happens when you kind of write a song to the ring that comes off a snare drum. You know, on um, like that, there's a love. Like I came up with the beat first, and then I heard the ring coming off the snare, and I thought that sounds great. I'm that's gonna, what I'm going to write the song. I'm going to write. I'm going to write a song to to the to the sound of that ring. And then I think we kind of got rid of the ring in, in the mixing. <laughs> but, uh, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it was, it was a difficult album, but I, you know, I stand by that record. I, I, I love that record. I, lo I love all the records I do. Um, I don't understand why Noel Gallagher slags, you know, what's that, what's that third Daft album that he did? The Oasis one? We put it on Stand the van. On the shoulders of giants. No, the the other one. Was it? Was it? Um, the one Heathen chemistry. That? No, the be other one. Be here now, I. I. Did we it. listen to Be Here Now in the van? Oh, did we? Big time. Oh no, we didn't. We listened. To, um, I was going to say I must have meant. Did we listen to Stand on the first couple of um, tracks of Stand on the Shoulders of Giants? I think we listened to the whole the whole thing. Did we listen to the whole thing? We might have to edit this out because you know, like. We're getting off topic. If, how am I ever going to repair my relationship with Noel? <laughs> <laughs> I quite like beer now. It's 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 hilarious. Just all the songs going on too long. Six minutes each. Loads of rubbish guitar solos on. Wait a minute. Noel, Noel Gallagher might say the same about some of your songs. <laughs> Nina, my songs are six minutes though. My songs are only rubbish. For Somehow three, you managed three to cram in six minutes of guitar solos into like three minutes of a song. It's amazing. <laughs> it's like that. It's like, you know, when like the Heinz put like 40, you know, 40, varieties. 40 kilograms of tomato into, uh, one, in, uh, in, one, into like a one, bottle of uh, right. tomato sauce. It's like, it's like that. <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm doing the Lord's work. <laughs> so then continuing this uh, progression from, you know, me and Pete helping a record ripe to us, you know, just helping mix and put strings on Higgledy Piggledy. The upcoming Slug 3, yeah. Thy Socialize, yeah. you've pretty much recorded and did most of the mixing entirely yourself. Is this is this the most Ian Black album ever made? My God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is the most Ian Black album ever made, yes. I don't think anyone else is going to make one, so it's up to me to no make No one else is going to make an Ian Black album. I, yeah, I think that yeah. is like, that's a, a fundamental philosophical truth mm. and an important stage of human <laughs> evolution. I think it, it's a weird one, this one, because I think a lot of my personalities in there which is probably a bad thing when you look at some of the lyrics <laughs> yeah, actually i i so we've i was recently proofreading yeah. the uh you know, now that i'm a you know music business mogul with our record label was proofreading the the lyrics and i had to keep pausing for breath because i was laughing so much um i absolutely love your approach to lyrics because it's not like you know some people write stories and some people write um just like fluffy nonsense that means nothing and and you know it, recently you know we've done a few things where it's like oh it's like a character study but these songs are like 
character assassination. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of, of myself, I. <laughs> Self-directed character assassination. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's just a whole. For me, it's a it's a new way to approach writing. But um, like, what's the worst thing you've ever thought? Let's Imagine if there. you were that person. Yeah. And then here's a song about it. Yeah, let's let's get in there. Let's you know, it's it's like it's life. Not not everyone is like. You know, not not everyone can be righteous all the time. There's there's moments when I I, I can personally be a complete. You might want to bleep this out, but just like complete sometimes without without meaning to. You know what I mean? I'm gonna not, have to do loads of bleeping on yeah. this. But yeah, I think it was just a way of um, if. But it's not like a Nine Inch Nails record because it's funny. It's really really funny. Yeah, it makes it palatable by having having a, a joke. Um, and and as someone as hilarious as me, I need to get those jokes in. You know, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I need to get them in. Um, but that it just makes it it just makes it palatable and and it kind of I don't know it, it kind of gets us off the hook in a way. It's like ah, oh, he's saying some horrendous things, but it's funny. Bless him. Oh, we'll let him off it. Yeah, that's kind of my way of thinking. Hopefully, unless I'm cancelled after this. No, because it's not. It's, it's not that there's there's like. There's nothing really. Uh, there's a know. lot of like. There's a lot of truth in there about, um, you know, how people hold themselves up as being righteous. Mm, yeah, yeah. There's I, a lot of so. like little barbs. Uh, you know, when when people hear the record, you know, most people do have a little taste for casual cruelty. People do it. Or all the time. Um, all the time. And quite often they they do it under the guise of like. I'm just being honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 it, it is a, it is a weird thing. Like sometimes, like you can you can say your opinion, but when people constantly say the, the same thing over and over again, it's like you're kind of getting off on it a little bit. The what you can say you can say your piece, but like it gets to a point where people just keep repeating it in a different way, to the point where you just like you just like having to having to go at somebody, but but no one's going to like pull you up on it because you kind of. Because you're 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 morally in in the correct space, but you've kind of went, but you you've using that to to get your digs in. Does that make sense? Uh, it definitely makes sense to me because I do it all the time. Yeah, yeah, I, I do it. <laughs> I do it all the time as well. Well, I think that's one of the good things about the lyrics and the records in general is that obviously you're kind of having a go at attitudes. But you see those attitudes in you, in yourself yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely, it's not yeah. like your it's not, it doesn't come across to me. Is preachy at all it comes across like well this is the way we it's, kind of all are and and, and um, I'm no, or, I'm you know no or is it and yeah. you know and you, you don't see yourself as being like any, any different or, or immune to those sort of uh foibles um oh i'm um, you know and um, i think I'm, it's done with such as you know it is done with a kind of a sense of humor mm. and slightly tongue-in-cheek as well in, in certain yeah, places yeah. but it's like so there's a kind of um but it's, I, it's satirical you know yeah but you know, those kind of words are going to come out of a terrible person. So I just can't can't stop them. You can't stop yourself. I can't, I can't stop myself. <laughs> um, but 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 yeah, I th I think you've you're right there, Peter. Um, I think you've kind of, I, th I think you've hit the nail on the head. I th it is. I, I'm not trying to be preachy because I I can't because I can see that I I do that myself. So let's write the song about it. <laughs> And and so 
we can't talk too much about the record because nobody nobody's heard it yet because it's not out yet unless you listen to this podcast after the album's come out in which case the whole time space continuum is upside down um but thanks very much for letting it be the uh, inaugural release on our uh, on our kind of a record label i hope we don't like spoil like ruin your career more career yeah yeah, I suppose I've got a career now, and you're, and you're very welcome, Dave. No, it's an, it's an absolute honour to be the the first release off the new label from the Brothers Brewers. Going to be bigger than Geffen. I hope so. Can I have a, an A&R job when I can get you loads of bands, like, yeah, all terrible, but, like, and get them in. I'll look for them. The worst. We want, the, we want their British Guns N' Roses. I'll try and get you Def Leppard, get them moved over. You're going to try and poach Def Leppard? Oh, yeah. Why? We don't need Def Leppard. We've got the new Slug album. Yeah, which has got quite a bit. Just of There's quite a lot of a Def Leppard influence. Just have a Def Leppard backup. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there is actually some some Def Leppard in there on one of the songs. I love I love uh, Hysteria. It's absolutely amazing. It's like what happens in rock music if you take all human edges off everything. Well, you know, I mean, I, me and Dave, like, quite often, like, think about putting this idea to you. It's like, why don't we make... Hysteria 2, but with Slug. You be Joe Elliott. Mm-hmm. We'll be Mutt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need two people to be Mutt. One person, the, there's only one person who can be Mutt, and that's Mutt. Um, but the only way for somebody to recreate that level of Muttism would be for us to combine. Basically, we'd have to elevate ourselves collectively to reach near to Mutt level. I'm not sure we've got it, but I mean, it, it might be worth a try. When we've all got some spare time. Yeah. I think we need to put some training. I think we'll, we'll all need to start wearing sunglasses all the, all time. the time. All the time. And then just getting that right frame of mind. Right. Actually, I did something similar um, for this album. I tried to, I thought, like, I'll, I'll do something like Dennis Wilson. I'll, I'll do an album like Dennis Wilson's album. And, and there is a, a little bit of Dennis Wilson in there. But um, so I grew my hair out and just wore, like, Hawaiian shirts. Like, while recording, while while, reco- while recording in the freezing cold, in the freezing cold, and right. then, and then I had to stop because the wind was blowing me hair all over the place, <laughs> and I just looked like a <laughs> clip, and I, I just I had to stop, I had to stop. It grew me beard out and everything. Um, there is a, there is a there is a portrait though of you in on the album sleeve in full bearded mode, isn't there? Um, in in lipstick. That yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was um, when I had me full. I think the beard's coming back. To be honest, it just needs. I'm looking fairly unkempt at the minute. But yeah, there's a um, uh, there's a little lipstick illustration of um, my face inside the sleeve. So, <laughs> so, so beautiful. Sold. <laughs> <laughs> if that doesn't make you want to buy the record, I just don't know what would. Yeah, that's the kind of thing you like. You can you could download it. You could stream it. But you won't get that portrait unless you buy the physical release. Yeah, I'm thinking about getting it like um, blown up so my mum can have it above a mantelpiece. I think oh, we should put yeah. it above the door of the studio. Oh, that'd be good. Frame it, put it above the door of the studio. Slug 3 made here. Well, it might be a blue plaque if the album does well. If we get a blue plaque, we'll reconvene and do another podcast again. Yes. Never see you again. <laughs> <laughs>